Good morning. Excited about today and excited that you're here today on the first weekend of something special that I think is going to be impactful for you and for me. Next five weeks, I promise I'm going to bring all of my best self to you and the best I can offer, just the way that you always bring your very best self and offer yourself every weekend. I hope that you will make a plan to be here over the next five Sundays. If you can't be here, you'll be able to listen online to what we will be talking about. I also want to encourage you and challenge every one of you in the room this morning to make a commitment during this year. I want to challenge you during the upcoming year to invite a newcomer, to invite a guest, and to bring a guest. If the 750 people that worship here on a weekend invite a guest and they come, that will be 750 guests. That's a wonderful thing, a wonderful way that you can bless another person's, another person's life. Today we're talking about choices and the choices that we make and how we choose our future. You can look on the program guide and you can see what we'll be talking about over the next five weeks. Today we're talking about your future story. Here is the biblical passage and story that we are anchoring this morning's message in. Here's what it says, Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Hear the promise of God. He says, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people did say, Amen. Sometimes life will bring things to us that we would never choose for ourselves. Anybody experience something in life that you didn't choose? Raise your hand. Yeah, all of us. Life sometimes can take things from us that we don't want to lose. Has life ever taken something from you that you didn't want to let go of? Yeah, 
But the reality is that even though life may bring something to us that we never choose, we always get to choose what we're going to bring to life. And though life may take something from us, it can't ever take from us the power to make a choice and to choose what we will bring to it. That's what this series is about. It's about the idea that you, right here in this moment, it's your ground zero. It's where you stand. And the idea that God wants to meet you right here where you are to help you write a future story, a new story, the God that wants to invest in your life and your future, who promises to be with you. That, that's the story because the reality is that the choices that you make today, what you choose today, how you respond today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. What do you want your story to be? What story do you want told? What will you choose? And if you look at the way that you spend your time and your energy and you look at your emotions and how you share them, control them, or release them, all those choices we make that we make today determine what our story will be. And do we want that to be our story? We get to choose what we want our story to be. Jacob, in the story, uh, he was in a really difficult spot. You talk about being between a rock and a hard place. He was literally between a rock and a hard place. He had no place to lay his head. No pillow, no bed. He was out in the middle of the wilderness all alone in a very lonely moment. Only pillow he had for his head was a rock. You see, he was enduring difficult family problems. You want to talk about dysfunctional families? You think your, prop, your family is dysfunctional? You haven't seen anything until you've heard Jacob's story. You see, Jacob was a, was a twin son, his, his brother Esau. Those two boys fought their entire life. Couldn't get along. They were as different as night and day. And the problems were magnified because their father Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And you know, when, one, when a father favors one son over the other, the son that's deprived of the love spends his whole life looking for something that's missing and absent and sometimes make poor choices trying to fill the emptiness on the inside. Jacob's name, by the way, means grabber, and it was an adequate description for his life. Because he was grabbing for everything, trying to get what he could get, make his own way. And it didn't matter if he was deceptive and lying or cheated or whatever. He was going to get what was his and make his life one way or another. Well, through a series of awful circumstances, he deceived his father into giving the family inheritance to him over his brother who was the rightful heir to the inheritance, created a terrible problem. And Esau had a terrible temper and had trouble maintaining his emotions and his anger. He was a hunter, a fighter. Jacob was more of a bookworm, a bookworm and a deceiver. So mama said, you better leave home because brother's going to kill you and daddy's unhappy with you. You need to go someplace and don't come back for a long, long time. And so we see him here out in the middle of the wilderness. What's he going to do? No place to go, no home, no family, no friends. And he's now feeling the consequences of his actions. What will he do? What will he do? 
What choice will he make? One of the great books uh, that's been written, was written during the 20th century, was written by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man in Search of Meaning. Some of you may have read it. Viktor Frankl was a uh, Viennese, he was from Vienna, and he was a psychologist. And during the Second World War, all of the members of his family, including Viktor Frankl, were taken to Auschwitz. And some to Dachau. Only two members of his family survived. Everyone else perished, including his wife, his sister, and himself. Man in Search of Meaning was written about his experience in the Holocaust. He said, observing his experience, that when they entered the concentration camp, that they took everything away from them. They took away their clothing, separated them from their families, took away their possessions, took away their human dignity and their rights, and even took away their names. He then was named a new name, tattooed on his arm, 119,104. He said they took away everything except the one thing they can't take away from anyone, the one, the last of all human freedoms. And this is what he said. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance, to choose one's own way. He said that he observed that the people who survived the Holocaust, many of those who survived, made a choice to find some meaning in their suffering by holding on to their human dignity, by instead of being an animal like the animals that were treating them so poorly, to continue to live their virtues by being kind and compassionate and loving and caring. And he said all over the camp were people who made these choices. He said things may be taken from you in life and you may experience terrible things in your life, but every day you are faced with a decision with how you're going to live, how you will treat other people, the way that you show and live your virtues of kindness and compassion and mercy, even though it's not being extended to you. And he says, it's the wrong question to ask. What can life offer me? The right question is, what can I offer life? Sometimes people say this. They will say, you know, some people are just born with an iron spine. Some people are just born with grit and determination. He must have just been born with a positive attitude. It's just a part of their human nature. I'm not so sure that's true. I'm not so sure it's true that people are born with an iron will as much as it is a choice that we make over time and how we experience adversity. An iron will in a person's character is something that's built over time, choice by choice by choice by choice. This last year I read multiple historical narratives. Stories of Antarctic explorers. Those who climbed to the top of Mount Everest. I read stories of decorated war heroes who, who showed and demonstrated great heroism in saving others. 
I read the story of a young boy from Sudan who was one of the lost boys who crossed the desert against great odds to fight for his life to come to the United States. I've read presidential biographies. Right now I'm reading the story of Theodore Roosevelt on an expedition down the Amazon River where he faced certain death after his third term for the presidency failed. What I've learned from reading all these individuals is that none of them were born with an iron will or temperament or a positive attitude. It was something that they chose and they grew over time. Because they begin to see that the opportunities in our life are found in the midst of adversity and in the midst of obstacles and allowing them to forge our character. That without obstacles, without adversity, we'll never become the people that we were created to be. Without hard spots, we never develop the heart that God wants to give us. We need to give up on the idea that life is best that the great life is one that turns out perfectly because it's not true. Sometimes people will say, they will say, you know, things always turn out for the best. But that is totally inaccurate and false. The truth is that life always turns out for the best for those who make the best of the way that things turn out. That is the absolute truth. Thomas Edison himself, he said this. He was an amazing person. He said it's never too old to start over. At the age of 67, he was at home eating dinner when someone came and knocked on his door and said, Mr. Edison, you need to come down to the factory laboratory right now because your building is on fire. Your lab is on fire. By the time he got there, it was an eight-alarm fire. Fire trucks were coming from eight different counties to put out the fire that was going seven stories high. A crowd had gathered, and he went and searched for his son. When he discovered that his son was okay said, son, go get your mom. Tell her to bring her friends because they'll never, ever see a fire like this one again. <laughs> it's a true story, but a remarkable, sto- it's a remarkable story. And he said, son, he said, uh, it's not the worst thing that could happen. There's a lot of rubbish in that building that we need to get rid of anyway. Well, it was more than just rubbish. It was his life's work. His entire life work, all his research, all of his experiments, all of his prototypes, all the things that he was doing, they employed many, 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 many people. All their livelihoods were lost. They thought the building was fireproof. They thought it was fireproof concrete that the building was in, but it wasn't. And so the contents were only insured for one-third of its worth. He lost everything. But he proved, and he said, I had a spectacular failure. It gives me the opportunity for a spectacular response. And he rebuilt his business he lost $1 million, but in the next year earned $10 million. So I, I don't know what your problem, I don't know what your ground zero is. It's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily a problem or a tragedy. As much, it's just a choice we make. Everyday choices, our time, our energy, our emotions, our feelings, what we do. The choices we make every day add up over time and they develop our story. And it's a personal choice that we make. That's why Frankl goes on and says this. He says, when we, are no, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are able to change the one thing that we can change, that is ourselves. And you know what? This is a hard lesson to learn. But we get the power, we gain the power to change our lives when we take total responsibility for ourselves. The moment that your life begins to change, 
And the moment that my life begins to change is the moment that we accept total responsibility for it. When was the first moment you realized you were totally responsible for yourself? Was it when you got your driver's license? Was it when your dad wasn't around and you got your first flat tire? What, Chuck was it when, and Rachel, was it when you walked home with your little newborn baby? Eight pounds? Maybe a little smaller, yeah. Six pounds? I'm responsible. Was it the moment that you had your first job interview? Or maybe it was the moment you've got your first exit interview. I, <laughs> I remember my first moment. I was a student at TCU. I was a freshman. After two weeks, I ran out of clean clothes. And so I've been wearing, I started wearing dirty clothes. Then, you know, you start when you're a college student, you do the sniff test. Does it smell? I found out the air freshener is not an adequate defense. <laughs> so after a month of wearing the same clothes over and over again, I went up to a responsible person in the dorm, my RA, and I said, by the way, who does the laundry around here anyway? <laughs> now, I'm a doofus, but I'm not that big a doofus. I knew that I had to do my own laundry. But I soon discovered that my mom was not going to drive over to the campus and do my laundry for me. My mom was not going to drive over in the morning to make sure I got out of bed and went to class. My mom was not going to drive over to make sure I did my work and was able to pass my exams. And as far as I could tell, there was no one hired on the TCU campus that was going to do any of those things for me. I was responsible for myself, for my success and my failure. Me alone. I realize that sometimes life is sad and sucky. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But what I've learned is that self-pity is a dead-end road. And it's your choice whether or not you're going to drive down that dead-end road and park and sit there or turn around and drive back out. That's your choice. No one can write your story for you. And parents, we all know this to be true. It's hard to do. But one of the greatest things that you can do if you have children or grandchildren is to teach them to be responsible for themselves. Because it's a great gift. Because when you teach them to be responsible for themselves, teach them to experience adversity and disappointment with courage and determination, you're preparing them to be successful adults in the world who are givers instead of takers, contributors instead of consumers. We make a huge mistake when we want to rescue our children from the consequences of their actions. We make a huge mistake we don't allow our children to experience disappointment and sadness. We make a huge mistake when we want to rescue them every time they're in trouble because we don't give them the tools that they need to become responsible human beings. I want to tell you that I've come to understand that it is not my job to be my son and daughter's best friend. It's my job to be their parent. It is not my job to be my son and daughter's magic genie to give them everything they want just if they rub me the right way and say the right things. It's my job to be their parent. It is not my job to appease my children. It's my job to teach my children responsibility, to teach them how to respond to adversity, to teach them how to get up when they've had the stuffing knocked out of them and had to you know what scared out of them? How to respond in faith and to live with faith instead of fear. That's my responsibility. And I've learned the hard way that when a person has had, had to pull themselves up from their bootstraps to make themselves a success, it really is a crime. 
to not allow your children to have their own bootstraps that they need to pull themselves up from. Because without bootstraps, it's hard to become a valuable person who responds to tragedy. So when they had that first thing happen to them, what? What do we do? How do we respond? We are responsible for ourselves. And when we learn that, that's when life begins to change and we get power. But here's the beautiful thing. Look at Jacob. So what's he do? Mom's not around to save him. Dad's over there tending to Esau. Doesn't care. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly, a dream, God shows up. And in that moment, he speaks to him. And he says, you have a future. You're going to have descendants. Your children are going to bless the world. I'm going to use you to bring my love and grace to the world. And here's the beautiful thing. He didn't expect it. He didn't expect God to find him. And suddenly in this in between what he thought was a God-forsaken place was a God-laden place. And he says, God is in this place and I didn't even know it and I have a future, have an opportunity, have a choice in this moment. How am I going to respond? And that's what his whole story is all about. That moment became a gateway. And over the period of decades, we see Jacob move from being one who was named the grabber to his name would change to become Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And he wrestled with God and he made choice after choice and eventually God was able to wrestle him free of his ego. And he became a person who began to choose the story they would have for his life. I don't know what your ground zero is, but God is here today. Maybe it's just an unhappy job. Maybe you're just happy-go-lucky, just letting life come to you. Maybe it is a newborn. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's a feeling of something I'm supposed to do with my life, but I don't know what it is. But there is many ground zeros in this room, as people in this room, and God is here at this moment saying, what are you going to do? What's your future story? Let me tell you one. Brett Foster, here's his photograph. Brett Foster grew up in our church. Here he is with his dad, Doug Foster. I'll never forget this. When they built a pavilion for Summit Academy, that's Brett and his dad, and Brett's wearing his uh, scout uniform. Uh, Brett was preparing for his Eagle Scout Award. As a part of his Eagle Scout Award, Brett had to learn CPR. And there we see Brett getting his, uh, his Eagle Scout Award with his dad proudly there by his side. Before Brett was able to get his Eagle Scout Award, a very dramatic thing occurred. He was down at the waterfront, uh, the riverfront, with our youth program on uh, September 11th, 2005. Wes Lewis, 41 years old, father of a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old and married to Elizabeth, sitting over here to my left, was a youth sponsor, was down at the waterfront working uh, with the youth and playing frisbee. Wes went to pick up an ice chest to put it in the back of the van and collapsed, having a massive heart attack. People around them responded, Karen Seeley holding him, Kelda Beachy, one of our youth, holding his head. And there was Brett, trained in CPR, 15 years old, 14, gives him CPR, unsuccessful. Wes died, breaking our church's heart, breaking the heart of his wife and his children, and breaking the heart of all the youth who loved him dearly. 
He was irreplaceable, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. So here is Brett, trained in CPR, scout. And I remember he was inconsolable. I failed. I was unsuccessful. And I looked at Brett, and I said to him, one dark night, I said, Brett, when God gives you a gift, it's your choice whether or not to use it. And you can expect that God's going to put you in that place again and again and again to use the gift he's given you. Well, Brett made some choices. Brett ended up getting the Medal of, uh, the Medal of Merit for the scouts for his effort to save Wes's life when he became an Eagle Scout. Wes then went on to become a member of the ski patrol at Paoli Peaks. Here's a picture of him the day he uh, was officially made a member and trained to re- and rescue Brett told me over Christmas holidays, he says, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Then Brett went on to IU and uh, became a great student. He joined ROTC, brilliant, straight-A student. But instead of partying on the weekends with other students, Brett drove out to a little uh, county fire station out in the county and became a volunteer paramedic and fireman. There you see him. After he graduated from IU, he became a soldier. Here he is with his proud father, Vietnam veteran Doug Foster. Wonderful, honorable man on the day that Brett became first lieutenant in the United States Army. Brett told me, he said he learned in the Army himself that it's really not about you. It's about your men and who you serve and how you care for others, the choices we make. Our feelings come second. Then Brett finished his commission, his commitment to the United States military. And this is one of the proudest days for his dad and for our church was the day that he began medical school and got his white jacket. Here you see a photograph of Brett performing surgery. Brett's now is in his second year of medical school and he told me, he said, as I look back at my whole life and the things that have happened to me and the choices I've had to make, he said, I've had to make all these choices and I've realized that I should never wish that things were easier. Just wish that I were better. Brett made a choice, and now one choice after another, Brett has made a decision that Brett is going to become an emergency room physician. It's a terrible thing that your husband died, Elizabeth. But it's a wonderful thing that so many lives will be saved because of the choice that this young man has made and others. It is our choice. We get to choose the story we want to tell. And it's never too late. It's never too late to write your future story. Your future story begins right where you are today. What do you want your story to be? The choices you make today determine the story that you will tell in the future. And we have a promise. We have a promise of God who says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. And you have a future.